Welcome back to Executive Corner, a Generis-produced podcast where we discuss real business and leadership challenges with industry trailblazers and offer valuable and actionable insights that you can start implementing across your organization. I'm your host, Luke West, bringing you tomorrow's information today. At Generis, we're connecting industry leaders through virtual events, in-person summits, and exceptional content. Our first events of the year are the Virtual American Biomanufacturing Summit, the Virtual American Supply Chain Summit, and the Virtual American CIO and IT Summit. If you'd like to learn more about our summits, these are linked in the description below, or you can head over to generisgp.com backslash events. For today's guest, G. Joe James is the Chief Medical Officer for Johnson & Johnson Medical Devices. In the role, he is responsible for overseeing patient monitoring and safety surveillance practices. Gijo is a member of the Johnson & Johnson Office of the Chief Medical Officer Senior Leadership Team and the Medical Devices R&D Leadership Team. He currently serves on the Board of Directors of the Medical Device Innovation Consortium to advance medical device regulatory science and bring innovative, safe, and effective life-changing devices to those who need it most. Gijo joined Johnson & Johnson in 2014. Gijo began his medical career working as a primary care physician in both urban and rural community settings. Having received his medical degree from St. John's Medical College in India, he later earned a Master of Public Health degree in Population and Family Studies from the Joseph L. Mailman School of Public Health, Columbia University in New York. On today's show, we discuss one part of his routine that he can't give up, the importance of patient centricity at Johnson & Johnson, two of their campaigns, Healthy Voices and My Health Can't Wait, and the importance of contingency planning. I hope you enjoy this conversation. G. Joe James, I'm so excited for you to be with me today on Executive Coroner. Thank you so much for being here. Likewise, Luke. Uh, glad to be here and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yes, I hope this year uh, brings a lot of joy and cheer to a lot of people. And we're going to talk about what Johnson & Johnson and yourself have done over the past calendar year, really, with, with there's been so much change. But before we get into that, you know, a lot of successful business leaders have routines in their life. And I'm always curious, what is the most important part of your routine that you feel sets you up for success? So that's a great question, Luke. And, um, you know, it's interesting, right? It's the new year. It's the beginning of the year. You always have these huge resolutions and uh, probably like many of your listeners, uh, there've over the years been a number of habits that I've aspired to ranging from not looking at my iPhone 30 minutes before going to bed or not picking it up for 30 minutes after getting up, not multitasking while being with family, being present 100% of the time, trying to read for pleasure at least 30 minutes a day. And I'm sure like most of your listeners, I've had varied success with, with a lot of these. Uh, but the one ritual that I believe that has helped me tremendously is my gratitude journal. You know, just taking the time to write every morning uh, what I'm thankful for has been a tremendous source of positive energy. And it takes a totally different meaning right now in the time of a pandemic when it is just so easy to succumb to the pressures of uh, isolation and, and loneliness. I have started that uh, myself this year, actually. How many things do you write? What's your approach to, to your gratitude journal? It's it's whatever comes to mind. So it, it may be one, it may be two, but you know... <laughs> That there are times when you just write, you're happy to breathe. Truly, when, when you see the, the suffering that uh, people are undergoing, there's a gratefulness to be able to isolate yourself and carry on with your life as close to normal as, as you can. 
And, and it's funny because I've also implemented the no phone 30 minutes before or after sleep. And uh, I also read a lot for pleasure. So uh, I enjoy everything that you just said that that's really interesting Wonderful. and fascinating. Um, what's what's one of the, your favorite leadership books before we move into the, the, the more serious topics? Well, that's um, so it's not a leadership book as a, a book that has caused me to stop, pause and think. And uh, uh, it's a book called The last lecture. I don't know whether you've ever read it by Randy Parsh. And uh, uh, Randy Parsh was uh, a teacher at Carnegie Mellon, um, was in visual arts, and uh, he got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And he wrote this book while he was dying about what really matters in life. And he, I mean, his humor, even through all that pain and suffering was amazing, but more importantly, the need to kind of pause and step back and figure out what really matters in life and to be grateful for it. I mean, he, he had a funny story in there about um, how he gets pulled over while he's speeding. And um, uh, the, the officer asked him, paraphrasing, of course, uh, why he was speeding. And he said, well, I'm dying. And the officer looked at him and laughed and said, yeah, you know, I've heard that one before. And he looked at him and said, no, I really am. So... <laughs> It's 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 interesting as he walks through those last few months of his life, some of those life lessons that uh, are just so meaningful and valuable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's a that's a beautiful story. I always like to hear what books people like to read, so I can add more to my list. It's I can never keep up with my list that keeps on expanding as I can only read so fast. But uh, now shifting into kind of what you've been doing at Johnson and Johnson over the last you know several months. Uh, meeting people where they're at and patient centricity has been a big part of your personal core mission, Johnson & Johnson's core mission. How have you supported both the physicians and the patients in the last several months of what you've been doing and, and kind of giving an overall idea of what you've been doing as well? So that, that's a great question, Luke. So in my role as Chief Medical Officer for Medical Devices at Johnson & Johnson, I'm part of a larger team that's called the Office of the Chief Medical Officer. And here, I lead a team of medical and scientific professionals who are responsible for guiding safety across our entire medical device portfolio of products. And as you rightly point out, we approach our work by focusing on patient centricity, or as I like to simply put it, an unrelenting insistence on putting patients at the center of everything we do. And we're guided by this commitment before the pandemic, during the pandemic, and it is our intent to keep it at the forefront of our work even when the pandemic is far behind us. So maybe I'll, I'll talk about it in two ways, given that context, right? So given that supporting physicians and patients is at the heart of our work at OCMO, one of the examples I'd like to point out is our patient-centric work in partnership with a group called Ariadne Labs that's a, a uh, organization based out of Harvard. It's, it's formed between Brigham and Women's and the School of Public Health. And, through this partnership with Ariadne, we're creating a novel surgical tool that has patient safety as the ultimate goal. It's called the device briefing tool, and we refer to it as DBT in short. In ordinary conversation, Luke, you might know it as a checklist. It's straightforward. It's a four-step instructional guide that helps operating room teams communicate more effectively and accurately and efficiently review a device's instructions prior to use. It's used as a supplement to the WHO surgical safety checklist, and it addresses the introduction of a new device in the OR. We, we firmly believe that 
every time a new device is introduced in the OR, you're introducing risk. It doesn't matter what the device is. So the whole impetus behind this was to figure out how can we reduce that risk? And amazingly, the real power of this checklist is not rocket science, but the fact that it forces the members of the operating team, you know, the surgeon, the rotating nurse, the scrub nurse, to communicate and connect with each other and work towards that goal of driving better patient outcomes. Now, specific to the pandemic, since you asked, like many life sciences companies, we've faced new and urgent needs as, as well. You're well aware of the work that J&J is doing on vaccines, and hopefully we'll get to see the results of that shortly. But specific to medical devices, an early example of what we had to do was the work we did to address the potential of acute ventilatory shortages. You can remember way back in March, when we really did not understand this disease, there was this fear that we did not have enough ventilators in the country to support what the need might be. And we collaborated with Prisma Health, um, along with Ethicon, which is a part of the J&J family of companies, to develop a ventilator expansion device or a splitter called Vespa. And the amazing thing is we brought that from concept to prototype to regulatory approval to availability in market in just 14 days. The device was authorized uh, by the FDA for emergency use only, and it was designed to allow a single ventilator to be fitted with a splitter to support two patients who were potentially rescuable while you waited for an individual ventilator to be available. So it wasn't that we were trying to double capacity, but we were trying to bridge that gap between that potential time when the ICU was out off a ventilator and you were waiting for one to become available. If you had two rescuable patients, you could support them using this device with a very specific protocol. But you know, despite the fact that we got this out into market in 14 days, it was available uh, free of charge to, to those who, who would want it. And the fact that we built all these protocols, it was the, uh, probably the biggest achievement was, this was the fastest device that we ever brought to market that we never had to use. And that was just wonderful because, you know, the ventilator production increased dramatically during that period of time. But probably what the lesson we kind of take from this is that it's this sort of quick innovation um, with a focus on patient safety that can help bridge gaps and save lives. Yeah. And that's that's an amazing that you're able to launch a product so quickly. And it seems like really being firm in those basics and those foundations was really part of that, that reasoning of how you got there. And engaging with patients, I'm sure, throughout COVID-19 was one of the biggest challenges. How did you create or how have you created spaces to engage better with patients during this rough time? So kind of continuing with that same theme of wanting to keep our pulse on patient preferences and needs, right? What we recognized, like like a lot of things that happened during this, this period was because of COVID-19, patient engagement also became digital. We worked to maintain strong relations, so connections with patients and their advocates through virtual meetings, online advocacy networks where we could hear from them directly and figure out how we could uh, better help them. We also contributed actively to many patient advocacy organizations uh, around the world, US, Europe, and, and Asia. Um, for example, our chief medical officer, Dr. Joanne Wallstriker, delivered a keynote address at the 2020 
Global Patients Conference, the annual event of IAPO, that's the International Alliance for Patient Organizations. Um, we also maintain a strong relationship with patients as partners, an organization focused on co-creating solutions with patients to help advance patient participation for better clinical outcomes. And important uh, part of caring for patients is innovating new approaches and ideas, right? And a few months ago, for example, uh, Johnson & Johnson, Microsoft, and other partners hosted a free virtual hackathon that was called Nurse Hack for Health COVID-19. We organized more than 500 nurses and other providers into about 32 teams and set them loose on five broad focus areas that included things like remote patient monitoring that, as you know, uh, was, remains, and is prominent in the pandemic. And the challenge was simple develop a minimally viable product that could be fast-tracked into development. And they did. A uh, couple of examples. One conceived of Here Now, a platform that hosts recorded messages from loved ones that nurses can play for patients on demand. Project Flourish was another result, and it was a digital tool that can bring telehealth to remote areas without a smartphone. So very, very focused on real-life challenges that were being faced by the healthcare or within the healthcare system by patients. I think it is also important to underscore some of the gaps um, that persist in global healthcare that the pandemic brought to the forefront. And I'm so proud to know many, many colleagues who stepped up to drive patient-centric innovation and leading not only in labs and R&D facilities, but also on the front lines to meet the needs of patients and consumers. I'm especially proud that across change at every level of the organization, employees volunteered their time and medical expertise to help respond to the pandemic, including administering tests, supporting hospitals, and treating patients. Mm -hmm. And that's beautiful. As someone who was in university, there was a lot of hackathons. I always tried to participate in as many as possible. So it's great to hear uh, that you did those kind of things to increase innovation. I, I think they're, they're wonderful ways to get people involved. Um, and I know that you've operated, uh, JJ, uh, Johnson & Johnson has operated Healthy Voices for quite a while. And I wanted to kind of get some of your insight about what that campaign is and what are some of the major differences that you've noticed in how you operated Healthy Voices prior to the pandemic and now? Sure, Luke. And um, just to give some context and background, uh, we created Healthy Voices in 2015 to empower and inspire patients uh, using social platforms to advocate for themselves and their communities. So these were people with a condition who are trying to advocate for themselves and the community around them. And our goal was to enable online health advocates use social media to make new connections and create communities of support. So as we already spoke during the pandemic, we all witnessed the shifts to digital life accelerate dramatically. We also can see that people need support more than ever, especially people with health issues, COVID-related or otherwise. And we saw this shift to virtual life during the pandemic as an opportunity to double down on supporting effective digital communications between healthcare providers and the patients they serve. Physicians, nurses, surgeons, and others were already taking to digital to speak directly to their colleagues and patients in support of better care and health. So we made a decision to expand the initiative by launching Healthy Voices for HCPs, 
developed specifically to help healthcare professionals better serve their patients online. In October, we held a webinar featuring an advisory panel of influential online HCP advocates and notable external speakers and partners. And the event welcomed over, I think, over 100 live attendees between the first two sessions and continues to expand in reach through on-demand content and available that's available online. So you've got to imagine 100 HCPs logging in at about 8 o'clock at night after they've had a full day of of active patient care because they're trying to figure out how they can teach themselves to leverage this platform a lot a lot better to provide better care for their patients. And you know, just like for the HCPs, we also had to shift the annual Healthy Voices conference that's usually held in April of every year to a virtual format as many other events had to. The annual meeting for us is a unique and valuable opportunity to connect directly with hundreds of patient advocates. And it's so important to include them in every step of the product development process. You know, it's so important to walk in their shoes to understand what their needs and unmet needs might be. And throughout these development, the goal of Healthy Voices continues to be to innovate new solutions that will help both physicians and patients keep everyone as safe as possible. And that's wonderful. It sounds a lot like leading from a place with empathy, uh, which I think a lot of leaders uh, love to, to take up that approach to leadership and, and solutions and problem solving. And you've also launched a major campaign called My Health Can't Wait, um, which provides patients and providers with the tools to stay connected and prioritize needed care. Uh, how much of a focus have you put on connection during this time as the world seems to be very disconnected, uh, especially from a, a patient provider almost standpoint. Absolutely, look, but if I could just follow up on, on that last point you said about leading with empathy and, and maybe make a fine point on that. I think for me, the value of Healthy Voices has been to listen. So it's not as much as, and this may come as a surprise to some listeners, it's not so much as what I am giving them because we have that, we can, but it's what I gain from listening to them that helps me deliver better solutions. So believe it or not, while we're providing them a service, we are gaining a lot more to be able to serve them better. Shifting to uh, your question on, on my health can't wait. So in the middle of 2020, um, we worked with a Harris poll to commission a survey of Americans to gauge how the pandemic was affecting their health. And one of the things we learned is that the medical toll of COVID-19 extends far beyond those who have it. Nearly seven in 10 Americans said that they or someone in their household had delayed or canceled essential care. And these are often routine wellness visits because of COVID-19. And we know that such hesitance and delay may negatively impact patients' health in the long term. Yet, we also learned that one in five Americans would feel more confident in addressing a health concern if a provider actually reached out to them. So seven in 10 delayed care, but one in five said that if a physician actually called out, called them or HCP actually called them, they may have engaged a lot better. So given that these findings underscore the importance of keeping patients involved in their health and healthcare, and the role or the need for providers to be more proactive communicators, and to inspire people to prioritize their health and reach out to their HCPs about deferred care, we launched myhealthcountweight.com. The initiative is a public information effort and a resource hub 
providing key resources and comprehensive information to improve communications between patients, caregivers, and healthcare professionals about how, and more importantly, when to pursue care. To create myhealthcantwait.com, we compiled information from reputable sources, such as the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And the portal includes four key areas. One, a patient or caregiver checklist and discussion guide to help people have conversations with their healthcare providers. Second, safety FAQs that detail safety measures that the hospital or the surgery centers might be taking to help protect patients from COVID-19. Third, a telehealth one-on-one -on -one resource to help patients understand the use of telehealth for routine and post-op care. And why did we do that? Because again, through the survey, we discovered that nearly three quarters of participants said they would be comfortable using telehealth service as a way to manage their health. And last but not least, patient stories and other educational resources. What better than to hear from the experience of people who may have engaged with the healthcare system to give you a sense of confidence, right? And the do's and don'ts about what to do, what not to do, but more importantly, what to expect when engaging with a provider during this time. So we truly hope that people find these materials to be useful as they talk to their HCPs about what's right for them. And I know that a lot of this uh, myhealthcantwait.com was built, you know, because of the um, hesitancy to visit doctors during this time. Do you see a use case for this support, for this resource hub after that hesitancy has kind of dissipated after COVID-19, do you see a use case for, for this resource hub? Oh, absolutely. Look, so I know there are a lot of ways in which everyone wants the world to conquer COVID and go back to normal, but there are also a lot of ways in which our lives will be changed for a long time to come. And we believe that society will keep some of the habits and inclinations formed during the pandemic such as what we just spoke about, right? People's willingness to engage in telehealth and telemedicine with HCPs. And there will always be a role for public education and discussion about the importance of proactive engagement between patients and physicians. So the resources available at myhealthcantwait.com are intended to provide patients and healthcare providers with tools to help foster meaningful conversations about prioritizing needed care, both during the pandemic and in the future. I'm curious about contingency planning, you know, with all the ethics that have to take place in these professions and industries, uh, how do you collaborate with your patients on contingency and, and the ethics behind it? Yeah, that, that's a great question, Luke. And, you know, making ethical decisions that put people first has been at the heart of Johnson & Johnson's commitment for more than 130 years. But that's easier said than done, right? <laughs> that said, it's not always readily clear which choices are the most ethical, which will help the greatest number of people and especially during a crisis. But I'm proud that ethical decision-making is a foundational part of the work of the Office of the Chief Medical Officer at j, &J. We value and seek objective external inputs as part of our process, collaborating with independent medical experts, bioethicists, and patient representatives from academia, government, and not-for-profits. And an example of this is our partnership with the NYU Langone Medical Center to create Compassionate Use Advisory Committee, or COMPAC, which is an independent body of ethicists, physicians, and patient representatives who provide objective guidance to J&J &J on the ethical allocation of drugs in development in the context of pre-approval or compassionate use. 
the Office of the Chief Medical Officer also worked with our compact partners and others this year to create a bioethical framework to guide decision-making related to allocation of supply of our medicines and personal protective equipment related to COVID-19. So the ethical framework for decision-making has been used many times to guide the difficult decisions that accompany, as you called it, contingency planning. Uh, it was created in collaboration with independent outside experts and patient representatives, which helps us make sure that decisions always kept the interests of patients first. And, and it sounds like you're doing wonderful work at Johnson & Johnson, both in your role as a whole company with how you've adjusted to the pandemic and the needs of your, of your patients. And it's really wonderful to hear all that work. For yourself, I'm really curious, what leadership lesson do you think you've learned throughout the pandemic and what qualities of leadership do you think have been most beneficial to you? So look, I'll end where I started, gratitude. Even through the darkest of times of the pandemic, I think there have been some really valuable lessons learned. It's forced us to disconnect. It's forced us to be mindful. It's made us realize that there are alternative ways to let's say travel, there are other ways to accomplish goals. For me personally, it forced me to spend time with the family and I could not be more grateful. You know, cooking, baking, like probably millions of families across the world, just us for a Christmas dinner, all wonderful opportunities that we had probably ignored till now. And the positive energy generated by these activities has been tremendous. So as we get started in 2021, I hope we will incorporate some of these positives into our new normal. Beautiful. And, and for me, I can definitely say, as I've done this gratefulness practice this year, I when I go on walks now, there's more things I just even realize in my life to be grateful for. And, and you train your brain to think that way. So, Gijo, I really appreciate you spending this time uh, with me today. And I hope everyone that listens really checks out uh, myhealthcantwait.com to see what uh, Johnson & Johnson is doing. And I'll make sure to link a uh, Amazon link to the book that Gijo recommended so that everyone can check it out. And maybe some maybe a YouTube video to some gratitude, gratefulness, best practices. Um, so Gijo, I, I appreciate your time and thank you so much. Thank you so much for the opportunity and wishing you and all the listeners a happy and healthy 2021. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to follow, subscribe, and leave a review. It only takes 30 to 60 seconds. We have some great leaders coming up in the next few months that you won't want to miss. As a reminder, at Generis, we're connecting industry leaders through virtual events, in-person summits, and exceptional content. Our first events of the year are the Virtual American Buy Manufacturing Summit, the Virtual American Supply Chain Summit, and the Virtual American CIO and IT Summit. If you'd like to learn more about our summits, they're linked in the description below, or you can head to generisgp.com backslash events. For all of our updates, you can also follow us on LinkedIn at Generis, which I've linked below as well. Talk to you all again soon.